0: Hello, Cynthia, how are you doing?
1: I'm very well. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: This is so good to have you again here.
1: It is very nice to be here again. I was so sorry that uh, we had the technical problems uh, on my end that uh, ended our interview very quickly last time. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately it was. Unfortunately it was.
0: And due to some technical reasons, and meanwhile, I come to know through Nuria uh, that your mother is not feeling well. How is she now?
1: Well, thank you very much for asking. She's um, not doing well today. She she has good days and bad days, uh, more bad than good, actually. She's ninety three years old, and I'm uh, at home caring for her, so um, she's not having a very good day today. But She's okay. And uh, she wishes me well and wanted me to go ahead and, you know, come for the interview.
0: That's, that's great. That's great. Uh, My, my prayers and my good wishes with her and your whole family. Thank you. So let's start from where we left last time, the journey, uh, in search of Rumi. Yes. How, how, how the idea came basically, how the idea came.
1: In search of Rumi, well, um, I can give you a short answer first, and then I'll give you the longer answer. Um, In search of Rumi, the first uh, experience I had uh, getting to know, so to speak, Rumi, was I was in a spiritual bookstore, and I was looking for inspirational reading. And it just so happened that uh, a translation of Rumi's poetry, uh, the Essential Rumi by Coleman Barks uh, fell off the shelf, so to speak, into my hands. And I opened it up as I often do with a book to, to get a, a glimpse of what it's going to be like. And I read a few lines and I have to say that I was simply stunned right there in the bookstore um, just thinking, that I could not believe that anyone was writing about the uh, mystical union with Allah or God or the universe um, in such a manner that it was even possible to put that that connection, that mystical union uh, that occurs between a human and God, to put that uh, on paper in words, I didn't think it was possible. And uh, I think that uh, that moment uh, really made me an appreciator of uh, Jalaluddin Muhammad Rumi uh, immediately. And then as I read more and more, uh, I began to appreciate even more his beautiful spiritual path that he was on. I saw him as describing the indescribable, really, as getting about as close as you can get. Maybe you can't exactly uh, in words express what that mystical union is like, but I thought that he was getting about as close as you could in describing the divine or the ineffable. He would probably say that he never quite reached it because I know a lot of his poems, he ends in silence, he says, the, you know, the rested silence, so to speak, um, stop talking, words are useless and all of that. Um, and yet to me, he, he comes about as close as you can come and perhaps Kabir and Tagore and a few other poets in reaching uh, the unattainable, which is describing the ineffable divine. Um, so I began to read his poetry and I simply loved, um, the whole uh, path that he was on, I read more and more about him. And I loved uh, his whole communication through the heart and uh, him speaking through the heart, him speaking to others' hearts. Um, you know, the whole heart communication that was clearly occurring between him and his students, because I began to read that he was writing his poetry for his students to teach them, to inspire them. And I loved the fact that he was he was essentially doing that through the heart and saying that the whole communication with Allah was through the heart and that's the way uh, you could find uh, this union that he was writing about in all of his poetry. I loved that. I, I felt that the whole path to me was very mysterious in some ways, um, as I think the divine is always mysterious to some extent, but it was also very familiar. It really struck me in my heart. It's as if he was communicating to me through my heart, his heart to my heart. And again, the heart feeling I got from his poetry. Um, I remember um, reading about how he composed his poetry, in that book, and and how he would simply um, feel the connection. He would whirl or turn, and then he would feel a connection with the divine, and and begin to spout off um, his poetry. And a student would write it down. You know, I don't think he ever wrote a poem himself other than the first one. The others were written by his students, and the first one, of course is a classic, iconic poem of his that still speaks to me. Uh, and then I, I later, as I researched him more and more for making the film, Rumi Returning, um, I, I realized how important this poem was to him and how significant it was to his life as I learned more about him. But I think it speaks to anyone, really. Um, I'm speaking about the reed poem. Listen to the reed and the tale it tells how it sings of separation. Ever since they cut me from the reed bed, uh, my wail has caused strong men to weep. Anyone who has been pulled from his source longs to return. And so that's the whole, in essence, his journey as I began to learn about him, the journey of returning and the journey of feeling the separation and yearning to return. And uh, that's ultimately why we made the the title of our film on his life, which is his biography, Rumi returning, because we wanted to, to bring across that feeling of him longing to return uh, to his home, uh, which uh, in real life, he was, He wanted to return to his original birthplace, which uh, was in the Persian Empire, uh, now Afghanistan. And then he had to flee it with his family because of the uh, Mongol invasion. And he went to what is now Turkey. But he, so he always longed to return to his homeland, but he was really using that as a metaphor for his homeland with God. And so that poem has always struck me as being a very beautiful one in so many ways and I can relate to it. Um, it makes strong men weep while it also touches me as well. Um, that's the short version of how I learned about Rumi just through that book and then I read a lot of other translations and, and met many people who uh, were Sufis and on that path and interviewed them for the film. But how the film came about and um, was interesting also, and it was synchronistic or miraculous, if, if you will, uh, because I was on a spiritual path myself, having lost my husband of 25 years and, you know, grief can be a great teacher uh as as many of us know i I don't think there's any human who hasn't felt some grief in their lives and i had been married very happily to my husband for 25 years and he he got cancer and um uh survived 18 months and then and then uh transitioned and so i was on the path of grief at that time and um i might just mention a few i looked a few statements that rumi has written about grief. And I think these are pretty interesting. Um, these pains you feel are messengers, listen to them. You know, that's that's kind of a great statement for someone who's feeling uh, grief. The deeper the sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. I mean, what a hopeful message that is for someone who's lost someone. Um, and, of course, he's writing about his experience with Shams and losing his teacher and, you know, all of that. And he lost his father, which was very traumatic for him earlier in his life. Um, death has nothing to do with going away. The sun sets, the moon sets, but they are not gone. Um, and don't grieve. Anything you lose comes around another form. And these are English translations, but I think they do give a flavor of what he was saying about death and about grieving the loss of someone. Um, do not let your heart get rusty with grief, you know. And the guest house is one of his most famous poems, in which he talks about, you know, this life ourselves being a guest house, and sorrows come in and welcome them. Um, don't just welcome the joys but welcome the sorrows as well because they are coming as messengers or teachers to you and you need to learn their lessons so i was um to get back to how i started the film um i was on my own grief journey and so i was becoming more spiritual in terms of um looking at other paths and just reading sacred texts uh, of all different uh, faiths, and I became a, a, what you would call an interfaith uh, a person or pr- appreciator of interfaith. And um, I started going to conferences that were that had people of all faiths, and they would talk about them. And um, one of our the future commentators in. Rumi returning was at one of these conferences. Uh, Dr. Akbar Ahmed, who um, is uh, actually from Pakistan, and he uh, is now in the United States, and he teaches at American University Islamic Studies and International Relations. And I met him, and he spoke, and he spoke about Rumi. And so I thought, oh boy, he he would be a wonderful, you know, uh, speaker on that subject. And so all of these things were just happening to me uh, synchronistically and my co-producer as well. And so um, we happened to be um, invited to an interfaith dinner in Phoenix, Arizona, where uh, I was living at the time. And uh, we sat right next to a man from Turkey and he started talking about his country and, um we should visit it and it was a wonderful place and all of that and of course Rumi came up because Konya is in Turkey and so we started talking about that and how we would love to go there and uh see his shrine and you know all of that and the man said well i think i could make that happen for you <laughs> you know and we we were taken aback we were very surprised but we've also found that when you're making spiritual documentaries oftentimes things just fall into your lap or they fall into your into place you know and that's what happened here. Um, as it turned out the man was a part of an organization that uh, sent you know people Americans to to Turkey and so we ended up going there and once we knew that we were going there uh, that's when we decided that we would make the entire film on Rumi. Um, because of his message, uh, because of the timing of it. It was after 9-11, and we felt there was a great um, surge, I would say, of hatred toward uh, anything uh, relating to Islam or Muslim, and just a whole lot of ignorance about it as well. And so we felt like, Uh, the best thing we could do for the world as documentary filmmakers would be to bring forward um, the beauty uh, of this path and and just educate people a little on the whole topic but also to inspire them most of all to inspire them and Rumi is also a great person to do that because he himself was um, an interfaith figure, and we bring that into the film Rumi returning, how he um, uh, when he passed away um, transitioned to where he was longing to go with with Allah. He would um, there were people not only of the Muslim faith, but there were Jewish people and Christian people, and probably Zoroastrian. You know there. Um, Mourning his loss, and so he was seen as a as as a bridge, as it were, uh, among these faces. And he respected all of them, and therefore they respected him as well. So he's he was a you know a great figure in many ways because he he had that message. He has the message of love. uh, also, we, we knew just from research that he was the most popular poet in the world. Here's this man who lived in the 13th century, and his message is just reaching out to people today. You know, such, mm-hmm. such a foreign um, and long distance away, uh, living a different kind of lifestyle as he did and all of that. But yet, his words were somehow reaching people today. And we found that to be very amazing. And so we wanted to capitalize on that, um, that interest that people had in Rumi and his popularity and to bring forward this inspirational message of his uh, to more and more people. And so we were uh, able to go that time to Konya the first time and then two more times later. And I'll I'll go through each of the trips, the first one um, was absolutely amazing. Uh, we got off the plane and, uh, we our our guide who had been suggested to us, um, and I'm trying to remember who suggested him, but, um, somebody suggested that we, we meet this, this man and, um, he whisked us away into his car and he took us to a Zikr. And, uh, so it was an, an amazing first night in Konya and immersion into uh the experience of the zikr and he uh we w- we were actually very tired and wanted to go to sleep. We said no you we can't we can't we, we've got to go sleep you know in our hotel but no he wouldn't have it and he was so right to have taken us there that first night and there was a a, a dinner afterwards. And it was a, a it was one of the high points in my life in terms of meeting people from other countries, because I had the, the good fortune to sit with the ladies. He was with the men, but uh, we had a wonderful uh, conversation heart to heart again. And only uh, one of the ladies in, in our circle spoke English, but that was enough because we were able to communicate um, in a way that you can in a foreign country, uh, even though you don't speak the language. I had learned thank you, but that was about it with my Turkish. <laughs> but um, so anyway, the first the first uh, uh, trip to to Konya was absolutely amazing in so many respects. Um, it was very very mystical. Um, uh, the man who was our guide uh had his uncle had tended the rumi shrine he was and he lived right across the street from the rumi shrine and was the director of the um dervish brothers center there and at first he said he, he didn't think he wanted to be interviewed and uh but later he he was he talked to me uh, he interviewed me before i was able to interview him uh i guess to see you know if he could trust me as someone uh you know that he would open his heart to and he ended up doing that and i hope we'll be able to see our uh the trailer uh and then we may see him in there and i'll point him out um and you'll see the professor too i'm sure from um uh, American University, Dr. Akbar Ahmed, and then you'll see probably Coleman Barks, the translator of The Essential Rumi, and Andrew Harvey, who is another American translator of Rumi. So, uh, would you like to show that now? uh, Yeah, sure, let me, let me. That'll put into context the rest of what I'm gonna say about making it.
0: Yeah, let me play that uh, trailer
1: yes if you'd like
0: yeah yeah i would love
1: to okay
0: rumi wrote the whole world will grow green
1: with our love the turning energy it's the energy of love
0: the intensity that the sufi brings to his love is like a laser gamble everything to love if you're a true human being, will returning. So it was, so it was the beautiful effort and I really appreciate that uh, it went well.
1: Yes. So, well, in in that little short trailer, and we make them short and sweet, we hope, um, you'll see, you saw the beautiful mosque in the background from Istanbul. You saw, um, of course, there are a number of beautiful mosques there, but that you saw both uh, groups of whirling dervishes that we filmed. We were fortunate to uh, film the dervishes in Konya, but also in uh, there was a big presentation that they were providing in Konya in a big auditorium. But then we also uh, filmed a different group of der- whirling dervishes in Istanbul. There was a Tekka there where they were performing. And that was a closer, uh, smaller group. But you saw that, which is so beautiful. And so you get a little taste of the beauty. And that's one of the, perhaps, the best thing about the film, really. Uh, throw out our writing and our interviewing, just the sights that you see are so beautiful, just so beautiful. To me, Istanbul is a one of the great you know, cities in the world. And the beauty in it is, is timeless. And we have a lot of it in the film because we were there three times filming. Um, you also saw the four people I was talking about who were the commentators. Um, uh, so uh, we've got Colbin Bark saying, gamble everything for love if you're a true human being. And then then he doesn't say the next line that Rumi says but I love it if not leave this gathering you know <laughs> gamble yeah. everything for love <laughs> if you're a true human being if if not leave and I love that because uh, Rumi you know is telling his students as I mentioned earlier I learned that he wrote all the poetry for his students and he's just really telling them okay you're in this group but leave if you're not willing to gamble everything for love. And uh, so that's a a great line in and of itself. Um, And then um, Dr. Akbar Ahmed that you saw from American University, he uh, actually ends the film with a quotation that he says should be the mantra or the slogan for the 20th and 21st century, and that Rumi's lines. Um, I go to the mosque. I go to the church. I go to the synagogue, and I see the same altar. And uh, he ends the film that way. So we let him, you know, end the film with that statement and that quote from Rumi, because again, we feel like that's one of the beautiful parts of Rumi's message is um yes he was you know on his path but he but he did seem to respect the other paths and he and he also saw that you know um you know they're the, all the paths are leading the same direction and um yeah. of course all the great mystics have said that but it's a it's a beautiful message and dr uh, ahmed was saying that he felt that should be the slogan you know for for the world today, uh, and we agree that that is a great message for us to all uh, agree to. You know that uh, the altars are the same, uh, and the paths are all leading the same direction. And so, so that that was one part of the film, but it, but that was the ending, and that was a high point. Um, you saw Yuzir uh, that I mentioned the. Uh, the director of the Dervish Brothers Center in Konya, and he was holding that and and he talks about um, the turning being the energy of love. And in the film, um, I describe the SEMA, but, and we see the whirling dervishes, but he really explains the uh, the true nature of it and that it is love and that they are turning to empty themselves completely of themselves so that uh, the divine can come in. And um, he does it in a very beautiful way, describing it. And he talks about the heart turning. Um, And it's interesting because when I first interviewed him uh, and he said that about the heart turning, I thought he misspoke. I thought he made a mistake, but that was me on my journey not knowing enough to understand what he was saying. And um, I've always felt that he was one of my spiritual teachers because every time I went, he taught me so much in the short period of time that I was, that I was in Konya. And he had gatherings in his center and he drew me into those and he was, um, you know, just a very, um, uh, well, he's likable of course, but he's also a, a good teacher in, in his own way. And uh, so I did learn a lot from everybody I interviewed, but I think from him the most because he was on the path. And so there's nothing like learning from someone on the path and and yeah. he, was, he was that. So just as now I've, the last couple of years I've been making Co-producing two films on Mahatma Gandhi and now one on Gandhi's wife, Kasturba Gandhi. And the idea is that um, you know, you learn so much by interviewing a Gandhian, someone who is living Gandhi's path. So, so this was very, very important to me to meet Yuzir and um and understand somewhat. I can't say I understand everything, but he helped me understand some things about Rumi. Um, you know, it's, it, it really was a time of almost a decade where I was studying Rumi, immersing myself, interviewing, but also meeting others on the path and um, trying to learn as much as I could. So that I could help to, you know, present it to the world, and it would be authentic enough that people would be moved by it, and I think they were because uh, it was very successful, and the film was on the film was on uh, PBS stations, which are, are the uh, public stations in the United States, so it was seen by millions of people. And I know the first time we introduced it at a film festival in Santa Fe, New Mexico, United States, it was sold out and people were standing in line. You know, there were like 200 people standing in line who couldn't get in, the first premiere of it. So again, people very, very interested in this message. And um, some people you know see it perhaps just his message as just a a description of love between uh, maybe a man and a woman or whatever but but uh, many do see it as something that applies to you know him and the divine and uh you know see it as that as such and understand that the the descriptions he gives of the the love between a man and a woman is more like a metaphor for that greater love Um, but and it encompasses all loves so that is included as part of the love so anyway um, very very exciting to have produced it because of the impact that it had and you could see people uh, being very excited by it and inspired i should say for example, uh, we were invited to many places to show it. And one mm-hmm. was the Festival for Sufi Culture in Fez, Morocco. And yeah. uh, that was a wonderful experience to go there and uh, to meet everyone there. And there were a number of uh, Sufi musicians. Uh, there was a female acapella group called Rabia, for example, it was great. Yeah. They were so beautiful. Uh, but when we showed the film, a lot of the people, it was also packed, you know, and a lot of the people didn't speak English, but they told us, you know, the people told us later through a translator that it didn't matter to some extent because they could still, um, they could, st- you know, they, they could still uh, glean a lot from the visual, the sound and, and, you know, the translations uh, So it was, um, it was quite an experience. I, you know, I could go on about where we went with the film. We took it to the uh, World Peace Festival in Berlin, you know, and this was people from all around the world. Uh, We, I I gave a lecture on Rumi uh, at the uh, National Museum in Prague, Czechoslovakia, because they were having a festival on Rumi and, you know, the London Theosophical Center, you know, mm-hmm. the National Cathedral in Washington D.C. in the United mm-hmm. States. Twice we showed the film, and it was sold out. This was at you know one this of the excellent. great, one of the this greatest places in the country. Yeah, and so it just speaks to. And Andrew Harvey, one of the speakers in that short clip, uh, was with us too, and it just really speaks to the way he is able to reach people. Rumi is able to reach so many people. And um, yeah, so uh, the whole experience of making it, uh, I jumped ahead to showing it, but making it uh, again, we went the first, second and third time there. Um, The, they were each amazing, you know, experiences. Um, I, I would also mention that first time we, there were a number of mystical things that occurred, like we we were out walking in Konya at night and this white dog came up to us and just stared at us, you know, we were right by the um, the cemetery with all the, you know, it was just, you know, we just felt like we were getting messages from Rumi himself. We also got the approval I'm happy to say, uh, to be the first Western filmmakers to film inside the shrine. So we actually were able to film Rumi's tomb, his fathers and others, uh, very, very uh, sacred people um, in in inside the shrine of Rumi. And I hope some of the people watching this and hearing my voice have either gone to Konya or can someday because it is a very mystical experience. The third visit we were in Konya, um, I had a mystical experience uh, at Sham's tomb. Uh, I We were there and filming and that's in the film, the scene where we were filming and little boy walks up and it's a great shot he lo- watch looks at the at the tomb of shams and we're filming there and you know it's in the midst of a a, a film and i hear shams say i'm in charge of this shoot <laughs> you know i'm in charge of this and it was just one of those kind of moments where i really felt that i was um uh, connected in many ways to rumi and shams and um we filmed two um, dervishes who were uh, standing in for Rumi and Shams, and and they uh, did a a prayer between the two that and then allowed us to film it. So we set up scenes in Konya um, to to stand for scenes in Rumi's life, and they were standing for these two men were allowing us to film them, and they were um, Rumi and Shams. So we were very fortunate to get the support and help of of many of the community uh, <clears throat> there to film um, the scenes that we did. There was a young boy who, <clears throat> excuse me, stood in for the young Rumi, and. Uh, he was in the authentic, you know, uh, costume or clothing that they would have worn during that time. And <clears throat> we had someone stand in for, for Rumi and someone for the father. And, you know, so we had, we had people, actors. they weren't really actors. I shouldn't call them that. We say that use that in the film business, but that's not really what they were. They were uh, the real thing. Standing in for um, Rumi and Shams and the young Rumi. That's great. So, <coughs> so we were able to do uh, that kind of filming, which was great. <coughs> I've got a little bit of a scratch in my throat. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to
0: take a uh, Yeah, yeah, please go ahead. Go so it was a nice experience to not only film Rumi, but to feel what Rumi was.
1: Yes, that was probably the best part, is yeah. to to feel as much as I could um, <clears throat> just the whole, his whole message, which is mm. so beautiful um, yeah. and so powerful, you know. Yeah. Um, if you know it's 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 almost indescribable i'm trying to describe you know how i felt but i have always been um moved even before i started studying rumi you know by by the Sema, i had seen the whirling dervishes and um i had felt that there was a strong mystical connection you know going on and i and i i think that uh, that brought about in me a kind of yearning like um, Rumi felt to connect with the divine. And so it's interesting when you meet other people who are on the path, the spiritual path, and they can inspire you in a way that, of course, reading the poetry or, or you know, just even seeing a film or something may not as much as meeting the person. Who is embodying the principles or the just the values, the, the love, really? And I think you can oftentimes feel that. Again, I guess it's through the heart, feeling someone who is inspired um, by this loving message of love and peace and connection with the divine. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. And Cynthia, I am so grateful that
0: you spared uh, time for this session. And when we are able to complete the discussion in search of Rumi, the session about in search of Rumi. And I know this is hard time. Your mother is ill. Uh, you were taking care of her. You were spending time with her. And during this all, you spared time. I'm really grateful and hopeful that uh, one day you will uh, be able to film some pakistani mystics or mystics who are here in pakistan there are some few great folks like sultan bahu is there baba farid is there uh, lal shahbaz Kalimdar is there and they all are wonderful people they have wonderful stories they have wonderful lineage they have wonderful teachings and uh, hope to see you soon in Pakistan following documentaries about the mystics of Pakistan as well.
1: And, oh, I would love uh, to. That would be an amazing journey for me, but also wonderful to share with the world. I, I've yeah. always wanted to go to Pakistan, so I hope that I can someday.
0: Uh, whenever you plan. I am ready to host you. I am here to host
1: you. Oh, how nice. How nice. That would be wonderful.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Cynthia, for Thank your time. You.
1: Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure bye.
0: to. Thank you.
1: Bye bye. Bye bye.